God states very clearly that faith without works is dead. You have people inside the Senate, you have people that are supposed to be on your side. Make the decision to live and die on your turn. You are not wrong. They have lied to us about everything, the border, the elections. I remember America and the American gun owner are the only things standing in the way of the Great Reset. Who's got the teaching aid? We are fighting a war against principalities. We are fighting a war against evil. I pray that we get to look into the eyes of every single child in this country proudly, that those children can look back and be proud of us, knowing that yes. we fought for them. Men, I don't talk with empty words. Those teaching aids, those are called balls. Gentlemen, I've given you back your balls. You only got one, improvise. God's given us a chance to make it right. He's created a remnant for a reason. You are the remnant. I want you to know we're winning. God is with us. And in the end, we know how this ends. Good Hello, evening. Everyone. Good evening. Do I have audio? It. Yeah, we hear you. Okay, cool. I couldn't hear myself. I'm not used to the remote setup. Uh, but good evening, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Conservative Daily Podcast. We are your hosts. I'm Apollo. And I'm Jake Frejo. Yes, Jake Frejo with the glorious mustache. Yes, also joined um, by the mustache. We welcome you. We welcome you to the Conservative Daily. Before we get started, uh, I just want to uh, give a shout out to Frank Speech uh, for the team over there, uh, you know, for having us on. And I believe... Uh, Lindell was recently just banned. His, uh, they banned my pillow from one outlet. I don't remember if it was Walmart. Walmart. <clears throat> Walmart. Um, yeah, it was Walmart. Yeah. So if you uh, if you do support free speech, if you do support the Second Amendment, and you believe in Jesus, and you are on the side of the patriots and on the right side of history, uh, fighting and willing to stand in the gap to take back your country, I recommend you go over to my pillow. Use CD. Uh, CD21 for your promotional code. Um, I actually, I'm going to give a very uh, shameless plug. I was gifted, as it was my birthday, some my slippers. And I'm very, has, very happy he, about that. He has the slippers. I have the slippers. The slippers are mine. Uh, but they're phenomenally comfortable. Uh, so, uh, last chance before Father's Day, go and get your dad some my slippers. Again, go to mypillow.com. You can also go to mypillow.com forward slash CD21. Uh, use promo code CD21, get some great deals on some awesome stuff. I also have this uh, lovely uh, My Pillow Travel Pillow, and it says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And that is from John 15.5. So, great. Uh, so when they cancel again, your flight in an airport, you can you can have something to look I can sleep. To. Yeah. I can sleep with Mike Lindell, uh, his spirit at my side. So uh, we'll, uh, we'll go on. So We've talked about a lot. It's been a it's been a crazy week. There are things developing nonstop, but I want to turn back to education. We just had, as I mentioned uh, this morning, that we had an FEC event yesterday, uh, focused on education and focused on what's actually going on in our schools because this attack on our country did not come out of nowhere. The uh, division and perversion of the minds of our children did not come out of nowhere either. It did not appear out of thin air all of a sudden the last couple of years during the COVID pandemic. Uh, we have seen a an agenda and efforts that have become more and more uh, public to 
divide our children from us and turn them away from God and away from the principles upon which this country was founded. Um, so on that note, we uh, have a guest today. Uh, this is a someone who's very, very special to me, but uh, she is an education insider. So uh, she has been a teacher for years. Uh, she's the mother of six children, and she's also on the school board. Uh, the journey over the last 10 years for her inside education system has been very enlightening. So I think it's important for you all to hear uh, from someone who does see inside uh, the educational system and has for several years now what exactly is happening and why our children are being turned uh, in the direction that they are. Uh, so if you have, if you uh, want to add something, Jake, go ahead. Otherwise, uh, we can bring on our guest. Bring her on. No, she's very near and dear to you, from from my understanding. Yes, yes, I know her somewhat. So hi, mom. <laughs> Hello, oh, Mrs. Greg. Apophis. Mrs. Apophis. Hi, Jake. How are you? I'm good. How yeah, are you? Yeah. So I will. Uh... <laughs> Jake's wonderful. He has a great mustache. No, it's just the mustache. I see. That's it. That's all it's I have. It's grown since the last time I saw you. <laughs> all I have is the mustache. So I, I hear, uh, I hear from your son that you're in the belly of the beast, which is not New York City. Uh, it's the educational system. Um, so, so give us a little background of how long you've how you you've been in there and what what you're seeing and and how have you seen it shift over that time frame. Well, I guess to start, um, first of all, I'm the daughter of two teachers. So my parents were both public school teachers. Uh, my mother also taught in uh, private Catholic schools as well um, later on, and she was originally a public school teacher. Um, and my father actually went to seminary, to Lutheran seminary. So I was raised, my mother was the organist and choir director at our church. And so I grew up um, actually kind of, in education at a very young age because I was teaching Sunday school and Bible school um, when I was still in high school and I grew up you know kind of taking care of all the kids in the church nursery and um, so I I have a really long um, experience I guess with children before I had my own and even in high school I, I, I was uh, in music and the arts and dance and um, academically I was I was on a college bound track myself and uh, I was choreographing musicals for other high schools when I was still a senior in high school. So I was doing a lot in education before I ever became an official teacher. And then I went to uh, Wayne State University in Detroit and uh, I had a talent scholarship that paid my way for four years. And I was kind of insane and did a triple major in uh, voice performance and organ performance and vocal music education. And then I left um, I met my husband, got married, and had six children, of which Apollo was the oldest. So <laughs> there's the connection. Um, so that was 31 years ago, uh, Flag Day. Uh, so raised my kids, and then I stayed home with my children. And so I saw the evolution of the education system as a parent over the course of six children that were spaced out. Greg is 31. Our youngest one is 17. So through all those years of being a, a mom in education, and, and I was a stay-at-home mom for many years, and then I decided to go back and finish my teaching certificate um, after my youngest child was, who's now 17, was like a preschooler, and went back. And, and I'm really glad I did that because I 
walked back in as an adult with all of this parenting experience um, before I went back into this college of education with a lot of these younger teachers. And I was horrified by what was being taught in the education classes. And it was, it was really shocking to me. And I would come home with stories. And of course, keep in mind, both my parents had been teachers. My dad was a teacher for 30 years and, and retired out of the public system. And I would have these conversations with my parents and they were just, just, you know, amazed by the stories I was telling them about what was going on in the classes, you know, uh, at the university. And I got my teaching certificate and I went out into the world and started teaching. And so I've been back in the workforce for like 12 years and as a teacher. And I was primarily at the high school level. Um, and so because I was a, a, I'm an elective teacher, I did a lot of after school things. So I spent a lot of time with public school kids in the classroom, after school, a lot of coaching, a lot of mentoring. And, um, and I have worked exclusively um, in Title I schools. So all the, the, the students I serve in all the districts, and I have worked for a variety of reasons, and I, I won't get into my, my job history right now, but it, it was a lot of opportunities, and I took different opportunities, but I've worked in four different districts, all Title I, all serving you know a lot of needy children in poverty. Meanwhile, I have lived and raised my children in an affluent school district, that was one of the top rated districts in the state of Michigan. And I am now elected on the school board in that district. So I, I don't want to, I'm not gonna use any names of, of the district I'm employed in. I don't wanna show them any disrespect or the, the, the district that I'm elected to. Um, and when I share some personal stories, I will say right up front that I will mix up stories that have happened in different districts. So I, I don't want anything to reflect on you know, my current employment or most, in fact, a lot of the stories I can tell are, are from places that I no longer work for. So um, I don't share names or personal details, but I have a lot of inside experience. And again, most of it was at the high school, but I've taught high school and middle school because I was split between two buildings and I have taught K to eight. And so right now I'm currently teaching K to eight. Um, so what what would you say is the, the largest difference that you've seen having, you know, you mentioned one your time frame in education which gives you a better perspective than most but what what difference would you say exists between the uh i believe you said title one schools correct and the affluent schools what in, in terms of curriculum maybe say speed in which or intensity of which you've seen those changes and are there similarities or are they are they are they different well, what I can tell you is that the exact same initiatives in education are going on in all the schools. They're, they're nearly identical in the Title I schools and the affluent school districts. The, the, the things that are coming across in education um, academically and, and a lot of the other stuff with the, you know, the SEL, which is social emotional learning and a lot of the hot topics in education, they're coming out like through all the schools. And I, I've networked with a lot of other teachers across the country. I'm involved in, you know, teacher groups, I go to workshops. I talk to teachers all the time, if whether they're the ones I work with or the people that I network with, um, you know, in, in social media groups, private groups, you know, where we discuss you know, ways to teach and strategies and things like that. Everybody's seeing the same things. And this has been going on throughout my teaching career. 
I think the biggest difference in, and, and I've said this for since I was a mom in the district, the district I live in takes a lot of credit for their success. And so much of the success of that district is really due to the parental involvement. There's a lot of parents that have the financial means for, and it, as a matter of fact, when we moved here, most of the mothers stayed at home. And that's been probably the biggest sea change. If you walked, I would walk my kids to school. We live in a district where kids walk to school, which I was a big, big thing. My kids could walk to all elementary, middle, high school. That was a, a big thing why we, we purchased the home we're in. And there were moms up and down the street. And I, I would say all the time, you know, my kids would walk to school. If they fell down, a mom would run out the door and put a Band-Aid on their knee. And it was great. I mean, it was, it was just an awesome community, a lot of good friendships, parents got together. We, you know, mentored kids. We, I mean, we chaperoned events. There were always more parents than kids. I mean, they have a class party and they're, you know, the parents were all crammed in there because there were so many volunteers. So the successes of our district are a lot of times a huge result of the parental involvement and the money. Now I have watched that change dramatically. I went back to work. I'm one of the, the moms that went back to work there are far fewer stay-at-home moms in this very affluent community. The standard of living has gotten so expensive that most people cannot afford anymore for one parent to stay home. And, and it's changed dramatically in, in the time since I had, you know, Greg in 1991 and my last child in 2004. The state, I mean, it's, it's very expensive to have young kids. And so there are, there are a lot less parents at home in, in the community where I live in, which again is an affluent community. Um, so I would think that, that my experience is that a lot of the things that our kids in the community where I live are successful. Well, they have parent booster groups. They raise all kinds of sums of money to buy uniforms or, you know, to pay for trips, uh, to drive kids on field trips. Um, you name the event where when you're working in Title I schools, a lot of times the parents are just trying to survive. You have a high number of single parents often, not always, but often. Um, and the kids don't have that support at home. The, the parents, again, are just trying to survive and it's hard to get chaperones. P the teachers in Title I schools, not only do they deal with a lot of extra things because they're dealing with a lot of students often in poverty and, and, and having a lot of issues that they bring into the classroom, but they're also giving a lot of their own money um, and donating a lot of their own money and time to do things to make up the, the gap that exists in those kids, whether it's paying for kids that don't have money for a field trip, mm -hmm. buying a, you know, a kid a, a prize, providing a, you know, a, a party or something. So I did a lot of that out of my pocket. Every school I've worked in, I've, I've spent a lot of my own money out of out of pocket. Um, so I want to I want to actually. So what you're talking about is really important. Number one, because we're seeing constantly this push, and it's in the curriculum, and it's in the rhetoric of uh, these so-called education leaders, and you know that's at the local and state, uh, and now even the federal level. Uh, we're, we're hearing all these people say that you know essentially. The parents shouldn't have a right to uh, to know what's being taught. We have uh, schools here in Michigan where they're refusing to release the curriculum to the parents that the taxpayers are paying for. Uh, and so, what you're talking about is is a very important point because many students do succeed simply because they have parental support and they have people who are who are helping them on that side. Correct. Um, but now we're seeing even in 
in affluent communities, and I want to I want to bring this up because uh, we only have an hour, Mr. Producer, if you could bring up A one. Um, you know, schools are now really, really failing our kids in the thing that they're supposed to be helping them with. The things that students uh, are supposed to get from schools is to go there and give it an education that is going to prepare them to succeed in the future and to be competitive and, you know, make that really simple. Uh, our kids are not able to read and write and, you know, and function in, in mathematics anymore. And that's why, being why reflected you go through some in of those a lot numbers. of ways. I mean, the correlation is, I mean, it's it's nearly 100%. It's, it's absolutely disgraceful. It's, no, it's, it's abominable. It's abominable. Uh, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not pick out any particular uh, district, but this is all in Wayne County here in Michigan. Uh, and I urge all of you to go and look up uh, the proficiency rates in your own states because this is happening all over the country. We have Allen Park. So in this list, just so you know, there are, uh, you know, some of those Title I schools, schools where on average, the people are, are lower class, and then those where uh, they're, you know, on average much wealthier. But you have Allen Park Public Schools. I'm just going to talk about overall, and you can look over uh, on the right. You see math, 70%, 77, 65, 70. Some of them are 89%, 90%, uh, not proficient. But Allen Park, 78% of students were not proficient in reading, writing, and math. Crestwood, 68%. Dearborn, 72%. Uh, Dearborn Heights, 89, almost uh, almost 90% of students. Detroit Public Schools, 85%. Ecorse, 90%. Flat Rock, uh, 81%. Garden City, 87. Gibraltar, 79. I mean, and just it's the same going all the way down the list. Uh, what is going on when we've been spending all of this money? School districts have been asking for more and more, and on top of that, they've been getting all this COVID grant money, and yet these are the results for students who are supposed to be heading off to college to, you know, pursue uh, better careers. Well, I gave you the number you yesterday. I, I gave you the number yesterday that the average classroom cost for uh, government funding, which is taxpayer money, across the nation is three over three hundred fifty. I think it's between three fifty and three hundred and seventy thousand dollars. And these are the results. So, Lisa, I'd ask you, are these kids graduating with these numbers? Because I know we're, we're listening to the rhetoric of math being racist and uh, downward or, you know, upward curves and, and curves based on uh, disadvantaged classes that the establishment is defining. Are these kids passing? Are they, are they somehow walking out with, the, with these numbers? They're, they're being passed through. And so you have to back up a minute because so in the state of Michigan, we have, of course, a governor that, you know, locked our state down um, after COVID. And so March of 2020, our kids went virtual. We had no, um, and I know when I first got the reports of COVID, I didn't take it, you know, very seriously. I you know, they're overblowing another bird flu, another, you know, I didn't think much of it. The next thing we knew, we were closed down. We were told, get everything out of your classroom that you're going to, and we were back, we were put in home. We weren't allowed to come back in the building for anything. And that continued, of course, through June. And then again, in the fall, um, most of the districts uh, in our area, at least, were also closed down well into uh, March of March of 2021, and some didn't even go, come back until this fall. So, but what people like have to realize is that the downward slide and trajectory in in um, 
knowledge and skills has been going on for a long time. So COVID was like the final hit that to a system that had been going down the tubes for a long time. And, and like I said, I, as a mom, I saw it over, you know, six kids, the standards changing, the curricula check changing. Um, I remember when they brought in a math curriculum, when which was the University of Chicago, Chicago math program, which has gotten a lot of bad rap and, and I, I personally hate it. Um, but it came in when, when he was in first grade and the, the experienced teachers were having a fit. They said, this is going to ruin math education. It's like and I would make the argument exactly what it did. Um, a lot of the, the out-of-the-box curriculums, we're spending big, big money on these. And of course, they brought in Common Core and then all the curricula had to be tied to Common Core to fit the tests. Well, then they keep changing the tests. Who's making the tests? And then they change it. And it is really interesting because a lot of the common core, what happened was that the material that's being taught at the elementary level is sometimes much too complicated for the elementary kids to grasp. And then at the other end of it, it's very dumbed down. And when they put common core, one of the biggest things they did was they changed the math um, progression so that kids weren't now going to get algebra until high school, algebra one, and it really took calculus off the map of the high school students. So it they've done a real number for many, many years. They brought in programs that, and, and education is famous for fads. So we went through, in fact, my oldest daughter, I remember they were still doing the invented spelling. So kids just spell anything the way, no matter what it is, it's right. And of course, a lot of those kids never learned to spell. Uh, a lot of sight words in reading uh, strategies. And so here's the big difference when you get to an affluent community. The community I live in is full of doctors, lawyers, scientists, um, very high level people, teachers, engineers, educated parents. They either teach their kids at home personally or tutor them when the programs are insufficient to give the, the knowledge and skills or they have the money to pay for Kumon math and Sylvan learning and all these. And it's really interesting because if you watch the 1990s into the 2000s over the last three decades, you've seen an explosion of these private industry businesses tutoring math, tutoring English. What happened since the 1980s when I grew up? No one went to tutoring. They, no one was going to Sylvan learning and Kumon math and all of these, which you pay big money for, by the way, as a parent, no oh, yeah. one utilized programs like that when I was growing up, and yet we were doing better reading and writing and, and math than the kids nowadays, and we're spending a lot more money than we did back in the 70s and 80s when I was a kid going to school. So there's been a big sea change in that. And so that is that the curriculum, the way they're designed, they are designed to fail, and they leave. The kids in poverty will never get another chance because they're dealing with so many other issues they rarely have somebody that will sit down and break it down. I mean, if, if a parent doesn't know how to do math at a high level, they're not going to be able to help their their kids with math. I can tell you as an educated parent, there were things that I sat with my kids, and I, I'm sure, Greg, you, you, can, you can share. We would sit down and, and I would read things and said, this makes no sense. This makes absolutely no sense. Well, I should have pulled my kids out years ago. I wasn't smart enough to, to, to do the homeschooling route years ago. I would do it differently if I had to do it over again. But 
as it went on, when it got to my youngest two kids, I, you know, they would bring a math workbook home and I would just literally tell the teachers, they're not doing, they're going to do the math problems, the, the traditional algorithm problems, which were like maybe three addition problems for homework, three subtraction. And then the rest was writing sentences, go around your house and write a sentence about math. No, I want my kid to practice doing math over and over again so that they know how to do addition without even thinking about it. And I would tell them, they're not going to do that. They're going to do the problems in the book and then they're going to do another 10 that I find for them. And so they would do, like I would give them. And so, you know, there were moments where my kids weren't very happy with me, but I would make them do extra math problems and, you know, we'd sit there and work it out where, you know, the kid that's, in, you know, in a, in a single parent home, maybe mom's working at night, they're babysitting younger siblings, whatever the, the case may be, if they don't have a parent at home that can break that stuff down for them and understand that it's not the proper way to teach math, they're, they're left behind. They never get the skills. They introduce calculators in, in elementary math. So the kids stop learning how to memorize you know, multiplication. They have to stop memorizing their addition you know, and subtraction facts. So they never get the skills. If you can't do addition and subtraction, you can't do multiplication and division. No, just let the and, computer tell it to you, right? You know, have your computer and, and on you, the desk. And you see it when you go through a drive-through, right? And, and Miss Papas, Miss Papas, we can see a dollar and some change, and you know, with the bill, and they look at you like, well, "What am I supposed to do?" I, I don't you know, know if you've ever been, you know, to some recently to like fast food restaurants or whatever, but they 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 actually when when your bill is rang rung up. Uh, there, they will not. Not only is it horrific that the screen that the people, you know, the attendant is looking at, tells them the change to give back, but they do it in like a picture of a quarter, a picture of a dollar, picture of a five dollar bill. So you know, it, I, I think from like a a bigger picture here, being that you've been in this many years, and the erosion of our society has you know, progress along that course is you set the foundation specifically attacking math and, 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 and things that are based in fact, right? You, you take right. away math because two plus two always equals four common core will differ on that. Uh, but right. yeah. by, by changing that and moving that narrative, it, it takes a formative mind and disrupts it so that they do not know any consistencies to base their, you know, once they enter adulthood, once once they enter the real world, they have no more consistencies left in their life to abide by, you know, balancing a checkbook, stuff like that, managing finances. Right. And so you watch this controlled demolition and, and, you know, we'll get into it after I have to do an ad read, but getting, you know, looking at what, Michigan's not unique, but it is specific to Democrat uh, cities like Michigan. Uh, when you look at, you're talking about the, the wealth divide between the two schools, that it, it still is the same narrative, the same agenda that they're teaching, and how they're applying it differently. One, on the wealthier side, you're hearing, it's not, you're, they're not your kids, they're the teacher's kids. That's the, what they give to uh, the wealthier uh, schools. But the if you look at what happened with Michigan, I, I know a bunch of guys uh, from New York originally, or New York that were originally from Michigan, uh, they were actually uh, brought in from Yemen, and they had been brought in, their parents had been brought in around the beginning of the 2000s, and they had been placed, you know, in, in, in Michigan, Dearborn, and a lot of their parents had jobs in the automotive industry. And so you look at how they've progressed this, you know, strip the parents' involvement away from either 
uh, rhetoric on the wealthier end or just financial on the, the impoverished end. And you look at Michigan with the auto industry getting wiped out, everything going over you know, to a different country. And so it's, very, it's been a very strategic 30-year plan on this from every angle possible. But before we go on, I will remind everyone that tonight's episode is brought to you by IP Vanish. Tired of feeling like someone's always watching you on the internet? Maybe advertisers know a little too much about you, or you're concerned about the privacy of your identity. Using incognito mode won't always solve the problem either. IPVanish VPN is here to protect your right to privacy and help you to stay anonymous online. IPVanish helps you safely browse the internet without exposing your private details to third parties, hackers, expose your ISP, or advertisers. You can use IPVanish on your computers, tablets, phones, even devices like your Fire Stick when you're streaming media. When you use IPVanish, all of your data is encrypted. This means that your private details, passwords, communications, browsing history, and more will be completely shielded from falling into the wrong hands. Even your physical location will be hidden. IPVanish makes you virtually invisible online. It's that simple. And right now, for conservative daily listeners, IPVanish is offering an incredible 70% off their yearly plan with a 30-day money-back guarantee. That's like getting th- nine months for free. IPVanish is super easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button and you're instantly protected. You won't even know it's on. Stop sharing with the world everything you watch, everything you search for, and everything you buy. Take your privacy back today with a brand rated 4.6 out of 5 on Trustpilot. That's IPVanish.com daily and use promotional code daily. Claim your 70% savings today. So there's a there's a greater macroeconomic picture here in, in which they've targeted it from all angles. You know, they came for the parents, pull the parents away from their kids. You're talking about after school involvement. Uh, if you're if you're trying to make ends meet and pay your rent and pay your bills, put food on the table, you're probably not going to your kids' tennis practice. The richer kids, they have that uh, that availability, but on the richer side, you're seeing this isolation of the student of like, you know, don't trust your parents. We're here to, we're, you know, the kids are ours. I, I saw some uh, pride flag saying uh, it, was, it was something circulated around a school. We did an episode on this last night, uh, circulated around a school district somewhere in the United States saying that it was a unicorn and rainbows and everything, you know, geared towards, you know, pride is this, you know, innocent uh, agenda saying that if your parents don't accept you, we're your parents now. And that's that's the push they're going for from the more privileged end. What I'd, I'd be interested to hear is you said the messaging's the same, but I'm assuming the delivery is different. How, how if you can answer this, how are the impoverished uh, districts, how are they still administering this message in a more, I, I'd say, digestible manner for those, their circumstances? Because I have my ideas on it. I'd like to hear what you're seeing. Well, it's there. It's very different. I mean, every district has its own unique makeup, and I've worked in districts that are similar but not so similar. They're actually very different um, ethnic, you know, demographics. Um, so, I mean, each district has its own messaging and way, but the same thing is coming. The same messages, the you know, implicit racial bias training, the you know, the CRT, the SEL, it's coming out in every district and it's all around the country like every teacher i talk to and i network with around the country it's all coming the conferences i go to conferences and workshops it's all been and it's been building for a number of years so i've been seeing this 
this didn't just happen yesterday. And a lot of the, the terms now, like social emotional learning is not a new term in education. It's been used for quite a while and they've really been embedding it and inserting it into the educational realm for a long time. And the it's the focus off academics. Now there's, you know, every teacher, I think most teachers get into, I mean, people don't go into teaching to get rich. A lot of people go into teaching. They really do want to make a difference in kids' lives. There's a lot of great teachers out there that care about kids, and we care about social, emotional learning. I mean, there are kids that come to school that lack social skills for whatever reason going on in their life, and that's just as true for some of the affluent districts as it is for the, you know, the Title I. There are always outliers in every, you know, there, there's always an exception. I've had, you know, a single parent have, like, you know, just amazing kids. I've, I've with amazing single parents. I don't want to disparage any one set of people, but we've put a lot of focus on feeling and there's been this drive to that. We have to make these kids feel good. We have Impulse. to make them feel validated. We have to make the, everybody gets a trophy. We don't want to leave anyone out. And I'll tell you what, and we talk a lot about in schools and in education about self-esteem with kids, but I'll tell you, the kids who lack self-esteem the most are kids that cannot do math, cannot read, and cannot write. And if you are not successful in the classroom and you, you cannot keep up with what's going on in the classroom, you're going to engage in another activity, which is either you're going to be, you know, we have the, the cell phone, that's one issue, that, you know, kids on their phones, they might sleep, they might become disruptive. And that's a lot of time what is what happens is I've seen the kids that disrupt classes the most the biggest discipline problems are always the kids that have the lowest skill level. Not always, but a lot of the time. Well, when you when you think so about before we go on, real quick, real real sure. real quick before we go on, because we're talking about you know the differences in a lot of these schools, and yes, there are some. But I want to point out um, a few slides, Mr. Producer. If you could put up a nine, we talk about social emotional learning. I think it's important that people actually understand where this is coming from. Um, so I just want everyone to pay attention where, uh, you know, the social emotional learning that they're pushing in every state in the country, some places do not have it, uh, to the extent because, you know, parents have got involved and they take over the school boards. Uh, so there are pockets where this has not infiltrated all the students, but this is all over the country. And so look at some of the, uh, look at some of the groups that are actually, uh, behind this this type of curriculum, you look at global and national foundations. The top left, you have Bill Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, Chan Zuckerberg Foundation. Uh, you've got the World Economic Forum, S the Southern Poverty Law Center, uh, World Health Organization, uh, National Education. If you just look at these groups, uh, you know th this does not. Uh, these are not organizations that, if people have been paying attention for the last couple of years. Uh, seem to have the interests of the people at heart. You look at national government, the CDC is, is involved with this, National Gover Governors Association. Uh, you know, so if you could tell us a little bit so that people understand, you know, given uh, your exposure with this, what is this CASEL framework and why are these organizations pushing this onto all of our kids? Well, if there's no, there's definitely no mystery why this, these programs are popping up all at once. I mean, they've been around, they've been, like I said, they've been embedded in education, but these were things that were discussed 
behind the scenes with teachers and in professional development for teachers. And now they're coming out to the public. And it's interesting, if you look at the, the Global and National Foundation Square on the left, you know, and every all the arrows, of course, are pointing at that center. If you move just to the right of the, the arrow, really, it would there needs to be an arrow going straight to the National Education Association influence, because these, these uh, foundations, they give money directly to the, you know, U.S. Department of Education, the teachers unions. There's two major teachers unions, AFT and, and, and NEA. And then you've got the National Association of Secondary School Principals, the National Association of Elementary School Principals, and then the National Art Education Association. You've got the Association for the Curriculum Development, uh, the Association of School Administrators, and the National Association of School Superintendents. And they also give money directly to school boards and school districts. So you've got all this big money pushing the social emotional learning programs. And then what they do, they, they feed it into these associations that give advice and workshops and, and uh, handouts and, and they influence all these associations. So your superintendents all go to their meetings with their association of school superintendents. And so you've got all these school superintendents like in Michigan that get together and then they get together with the national group of superintendents and they're all getting the same information. And then the principals, they're all meeting and they're, and so everybody's getting it from all these different directions. And it seems like Oh, it's, it's all presented as though this is the best thing for your kids. This is going to make your students so successful and wonderful. But that's not what we're seeing. Yeah. We're seeing the worst literacy rates, the worst math rates. They've been going down consistently. And it's interesting. You know, everyone thinks the, the United States Department of Education, the federal department has existed forever. No, it was put in under Jimmy Carter's administration in 1979. It's not been around that long. And since it came about, education has been getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And I think that's one of the things that I think people are not aware of. Most of the people that have kids in their schools, they, they have a picture in their brain of what happens in school when their kid goes to school or when a teacher is teaching or planning lessons. There's this, this you know, very nostalgic view of what education is. And they would be horrified if they spent time to see, like the principals, let's just say principals for, for a, a minute. Principals used to be out greeting the students coming in. They knew the parents, they knew the students, they were in the halls, they were walking around, observing the teachers teaching, uh, a good, the good ones at least, you know, there's always ones that maybe weren't that, you know, involved. But there were a lot of that, that was kind of the old school of education. Now, people don't understand that most of their building principals are not in the building half the time because they're going to meetings at the intermediate school district. They're going to meetings with the state. They're meeting with people from the federal government. So there's all these layers of bureaucracy, all soaking up money. And so all these educational dollars we're spending, they're not going into the classroom. They're going into all kinds of initiatives that have nothing to do with teaching your child math or reading or writing or grammar. And, and let's look at all the things they've cut out of the curriculum because I'll tell you what, when, when you were in fifth grade, Greg, you and your sister, the one right after you, they did a full Shakespeare play in fifth grade. Now 
there's no grammar. They learned to keyboard. You know, that was when computers first got came out. They learned cursive handwriting. They've cut cursive. They've cut grammar. They've cut spelling half the time. It's okay if, if, if you don't spell things, spell check. We don't need spelling anymore. Um, we, we've cut all this like bulk out of it. And instead we're going to do all of these feel good lessons. So here's another problem. So we have all these teachers that a, they're not trained psychologists. They're trying to teach a lesson in math, a teacher, you know, whatever your subject matter is. And now you're, you've got all this social emotional learning that you have to spend time on. There's only so many hours in the day. I will tell you most of what goes on in schools, a huge part of it goes to teaching to the test because you've got to get your kid to pass your students in the class to pass those tests. Otherwise your district will be rated badly and they might cut your funding. They might cut you out. And then you're going to teach the social emotional learning. There's no time for anything else. There are, and then you've got to do a lot of rewards to reward the kids that aren't, you know, disrupting the class because you've got a whole nother generation of kids and you've got then a lot of technology embedded. So you've got students on devices every day and those kids have grown up with that technology. They're much better at it than the teachers are. So they're navigating between all these windows. So you assign them, a, you know, to do their English assignment. Well, they're flipping over three screens to play their video game and hiding it. And then you come by the desk and, oh, all of a sudden they're, well, how come you have only written like a paragraph and you've been working on this for an hour? Like I taught high school and I, you know, I had a music history class that I taught like, they wouldn't work on anything. Everything was on their phones. They were on social media. The amount of distraction that technology brings to the classroom is a, is a topic all by itself. Well, well, that thing, that thing itself, technology is an impulse uh, control, right? And so it's this whole thing right. with the SEL, the what social emotional learning impulse mm -hmm. is what really uh, differentiates us between. A wild animal, right? Your ability to right. discipline yourself, control yourself. And, and I that want is to hit on that real quick. Sure. Because so there's there's a lot of research on to the reward system. So this is the generation now that is in their thirties is the first one that, that grew up with the video games, right? And video games give rewards when you go up the levels of the video games and they, they've done all kinds of research how those reward centers you know, um, are stimulated in the brain. And they also teach people to make snap decisions without any kind of, so that impulse control level, which on a totally different topic, I totally believe all the, these police shootings are a result of police officers that spent their teenage years playing video games. They've, they've bypassed their impulse control. They can't stop themselves, I think, sometimes when they need to. That's another discussion for another but, day. But, that, but that's exactly the point. What is the education system doing? They're doing the same exact thing. So we have kids playing on, on programs in the classroom. Sometimes they're remedial programs and they reward the kids. Even the standardized tests. I was shocked when I proctored tests a couple years ago. It was, actually, it was during COVID. We were virtual. And the, the test in... They, the kids got to a certain point in the test and all of a sudden there were like these like little like things floating across the screen with like points going up just like a video game and even the kids didn't know they're like 
Mrs. Pappas, I, I don't know. What am I supposed to do right now? And I'm like, I don't even know. And so I'm looking on this, like, uh, standard. This is a standardized test that they're being used to measure. And they're giving, like, video game rewards. And they had to, like, play the game in the middle of the standardized test to go on with the standardized test. And it was all points and rewards just exactly structured like a video game. So this is what your students are doing. And they're being measured on it. And then you know, your school is being rewarded if your students are successful or not successful. But, and this is big money and big data and big business. So they're getting all kinds of data. They can even see some of these programs measure how quickly the kids are taking the test. So we have kids, if they're not good students or, or struggling students, a lot of times they will click through very quickly just to get done, to be done with the test because they don't care. They don't care what their score is. And they can actually tell that, and then they, you know, you'll get a notification. The teacher is proctoring the test. Well, that student has to restart the test, go through it. We can tell they took it too quickly. The the score isn't accurate. They can see how how long a student po you know paused on a certain question. There's a lot of data being collected, and who has that data? And I'll tell you what those probably tests the people in that chart effort, you put up. Probably the, the well-funded people on that chart you put up that are funding very, all of this. Very, very, very true. And yeah. you know what, what a lot of people don't realize? The Bill Gates, the Steve Jobs, all those big tech CEOs, they send their kids to private schools that have little or zero tech. If they have a little bit of tech, what do they do know that we don't know? They don't allow their own kids to go to a school where they have Chromebooks in every, a device in every hand, and, and all these districts brag. We have a device in every hand. If you hear that, you should shudder. It's not a good thing. I mean, look, you see kids in strollers holding an iPad. They're two years old, and their parents are like, oh, the kid's crying again. The kid's acting out again. I'm not going to fix it and, and you know, you know, know, raise the child accordingly. Here, just take this iPad and do your thing. Yeah. Um, but before Absolutely. we go on, I'll, I'll remind everyone that our last sponsor of the day is Axos Bank. So speaking on the subject of money and funding, I'm seeing a lot of banks out there pandering to current trends at the cost of the customer, but there's one that's not afraid to make bold decisions that put customers first, even if it's going to make headlines. It's Axos Bank. Do a quick search and you'll see what I mean. This is a bank that's all about integrity, fairness, and the freedom to do business without compromising our values. Take a look at their rewards checking account where you can earn their highest interest rate, and it's a big one. Listeners can get a $150 bonus if you open it by July 31st. Go to axosbank.com, that is A-X-O-S bank.com, slash daily for full details. For that cash bonus, all you're going to have to do is add $1,500 direct deposit within the first 90 days, and then you'll have your money, which might help you out considering the current environment Biden has shoved us all into. Axos Bank is federally insured, member of FDIC, and they're for us, all of us. AxosBank.com slash daily. Go check them out. So it goes back to the money. And so, you, know, you, you put up that chart, and ooh, it's every sector. It's, it's the education sector. It's the voting systems. It's, it's all about the bags of money, the money under the table. And the one point before, I'm sorry to interrupt, Apollo, that I'd, I'd mention is specific to the two of you with Michigan is you talk about this emotional learning, right? They're, they're stripping everything down, and you talk about the teachers' unions and the and the, the the principals and the principals at play. Actually, uh, back back uh, backtrack a little bit to a, one of the stories Project Veritas did it was actually uh, AFT, which you brought up earlier in Michigan, and they're 
union boss, whoever it is, I think her name is Randy Weingarten, is actually in a lawsuit with Project Veritas for uh, the teachers' union's effort to cover up uh, some sexual improprieties that happened between a teacher and a student. Uh, they'd been caught on videotape uh, disclosing the fact that it had all been shoved under the rug. That's the power of the unions is they, you know, I knew I knew forklift unions in New York. People would drop a pallet on someone's head and, and put them in a wheelchair for the rest of their life, and the union would have the guy back on the job in a week that dropped the pallet on someone's head. That's an actual story. So these unions, it's, 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 it's mafioso... Uh, control of a narrative, and that's exactly what they're doing. Now, you talk about, you showed all the numbers, you showed the math, the reading, complete illiteracy of the future generation of this country, and that's mm -hmm. the point here. Uh, but if you if you look at, this was on uh, the, the main, main page of Breitbart, uh, Michigan Attorney General uh, Dana Nessel said Wednesday, so yesterday, there should be a drag queen for every school. The openly gay Democrat was speaking at an event in Lansing, Michigan, and explained her rationale this way. Drag queens make everything better. Drag queens are fun, she said, according to audio obtained by Detroit News. So we're looking at a situation in which that's the priority versus numbers that are near total failure of ready Well, Jake, so just on that point... The, the adult world. Well, right. So she's actually... Dana Nessel is kicking off an event here, uh, you know, where I went to school... She's kicking off an event as like the opening speaker for an event where they're having uh, a drag show and inviting all the children. This That's is literally fantastic. aimed at children. Yeah, in in like in the you know right right in the downtown heart of the city, and there's a children's event with uh, with you know a drag show that Dana Nessel, the Attorney General of Michigan, is going to kick off. She's going to introduce because she's so proud of this, uh, and and again. Actually, if you can, uh, Mr. Producer, if you can put up, um, if you can put up a ten, because uh, this uh, this sex ed push, all this information that uh, mm -hmm. you know, this push for uh, educating kids as young as five, we're talking elementary school uh, about anal sex and you know all of these very adult topics that uh, you know we're spending all this money uh, to implement these these programs while the kids can't read or write. Uh, this is where a lot of the, the sex ed influences actually come from. So you look, you've got UNESCO, UNICEF, uh, UNAIDS, uh, UN Women, the World Health Organization, uh, the CDC, uh, you know, here in Michigan, the Michigan Board of Education. Uh, you know, if Lisa, I'll turn it over to you. You can take this down, Mr. Producer, but uh, I'll, I'll kind of roll through this topic and I'll let you take it. You have all of this money coming in. All of this information is coming to push all this sexual education and all this brainwashing. The kids can't read or write, let alone you have all the COVID grant money that all, the, all of these districts have gotten. Where is all this money going? Like it's clearly not going to help the students and it's not going to, uh, to the teachers in most cases. So where's no. all this money going? I, I have a real quick well, question. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put this back up. Why are they involved in this? I just, I'm confused by what you're saying. If it's actually real, is, that, is this real? No, we put up we, oh. we put up we yes. put up a fake chart. Yes, no, it's, it's very real. I will tell you that there is so much push in the schools, and it's been it's been a slow, you know, rollout over the years. It 
it, the AIDS epidemic really like upped the ante. So when AIDS and hepatitis became, you know, more common, um, that became the excuse for the kids to learn, you know, a lot in health class, and they would you know do it in middle school and high school. Well, now they're rolling it back, you know, earlier and earlier. Um, and again, technology has brought you know a lot of things to the, and that and that's a big problem with the COVID shutdown too, because we had kids that were locked up in their homes and parents that were locked up in their homes and quite frankly, the majority of, you know, what they were watching was either TikTok videos or, uh, you know, a lot of porn, things like that. However, the schools decided at some point that they're the ones responsible to teach all the kids. And meanwhile, I mean, the kids are, they're getting ideas. I mean, when, when you go to school and you have schools handing out condoms and giving graphic I mean, the graphic stuff these kids learn. I didn't know a lot of this stuff when I was married. And I mean, even after I started having children, I was like, there's topics that my, my teenagers know about that I didn't even know about as a young newlywed, new mother, I, I had never even heard of. And um, maybe I was, you know, <laughs> a little naive, but, um, but it was a different time. We didn't, it wasn't the first part of our identity. I will tell you, and I, and I you know, I want to make this clear because I'm a teacher and I have said this, at, you know, on my school board position, I say this all the time. My job as a teacher is to keep every child, before I educate them, I keep them safe. I keep them physically safe and I, I don't allow bullying. I mean, I try to nip that in the bud. I don't care what color, ethnicity, language, sexuality, I don't care what, my kids in my classroom are my students. I'm going to teach them my subject matter, and I'm going to try to, to make my classroom a respectful place for me to them and them to me and, and to each other. So I have dear friends. I was a music major. I had a lot of dear friends that were gay. I mean, some of the people I love most in the world. I am not by any means a prude. I am not by any means. I, I have nothing against anybody for whatever they want to do in their personal life. But I have a big issue with schools deciding that they get the right to teach my child or anyone's child about all this graphic, every possible sexual practice, you know, in the world and this graphic stuff that the kids are learning and condoning it and, and encouraging it. And it's gotten to the point where our, our students nowadays are, their, their first thing on their mind is what sexual behavior they engage in. That's not, a, it used to be you were good in band or choir or you were the, the editor on the school newspaper. People, you know, students were proud of their, of their accomplishments. Now the first thing that comes out is, and they're so proud of, if I am a, a sexuality or I have a label that's something else, and teachers see it. You don't know how many teachers behind the scenes are upset about this. We're watching these kids like this is the first thing they focus on in their identity in school. This should not be the first thing on their minds every day is I'm this or I'm that or I decided to be gay, but now I'm bisexual, but now I'm pansexual, but now and and this is like their whole identity. Well, what do they have left in life if that's the most important thing? What sexual practice they take they take part in? Well, impulse and the control are encouraging it. Impulse control, whether it's, you know, cigarettes, your parents bring up saying don't smoke cigarettes, don't drink alcohol, 
you know, uh, don't do drugs. And it's the same impulse control, right? You're dealing with kids, you know, I mean, it's even, it's, it's even more horrific that now they're subjecting five-year-olds to these drag queen story hours and essentially strip club performances. But when you're talking about... Right, young right. children. And, and so on the same subject as alcohol, tobacco, and drugs, what they're doing with kids is you've got a you know, 12, 11, 12-year-old kid that's hitting puberty. Their hormones are all over the place. And so at that time in their life, you know, they're, they're, they're sexually starting to develop. So they say, let's, you know, come out. And it's no different than saying to the, you know, the 11-year-old kid, a teacher saying, hey, here's a Marlboro Red. Maybe you should try it. And so what they're doing, it's, it's, it's confuse and conquer. And they're, they're doing it for the, the long term here. And uh, from the looks of it, they're, they're getting away with it. And, and to me, that's just uh, astonishing. If, you, if your kid came home from school and be like, yeah, my teacher, my, you know, my, my third grade teacher started handing out cigarettes saying, you know, it might be a lifestyle choice. You want to try. And so it's, it's just from every angle possible, uh, removing that aspect of discipline and impulse control. Get rid of math. Get rid of accounting. Get rid of economics. Get rid of binary uh, foundations that this child has the ability to set their life out on and replace it with uh, short-term uh, reward system dopamine hit just like Instagram I mean I call I call it my generation my generation generation five years before me it's the Instagram generation they don't have an attention span beyond 30 seconds so everything has to be fed into them by impulse and gratification and pleasure right. and that's what these sick sick freaks are doing across the board with the whole educational system well then they attack you know people they attack anyone who who comes out against you know, a drag queen coming to, to you know story time hour for a kindergartner i'm sorry that's absolutely inappropriate if you want to be a drag queen as an adult and you want to do that as an adult n knock yourself out do whatever you want to do you're talking about kindergarten children this isn't about acceptance this is about sexualizing behavior with young children. And if you look at some of the sex ed uh, guidelines that they're bringing down to kindergartners, it is absolutely perverse. There are guidelines coming out and the CDC, look on the CDC's um, and the NIH's suggestions for sex ed discussions with children. And, you know, and they want, I mean, there's literally schools showing videos to students um, that literally teach them how to masturbate, encourage it, uh, how to do it. They show graphic like videos that show them how to do it and talk about it. You know what? That is not why I think any parent sends their kid to school. I know I certainly didn't, but I, I know parents that, teachers that are really, re I mean, behind the scenes, the good news is there are a lot of teachers and principals and counselors and good people that see that this is wrong they're afraid to speak up this is this is the scariest part if all of those people in every school we could change education tomorrow if the principals and teachers and counselors that see that this trajectory in education is wrong the testing is wrong the standardized testing if we just stood up and said we're done we're not gonna do it anymore. We're not giving our kids that test. You know what? These kids have COVID learning loss. We're gonna go back and we're gonna go back in time and we're gonna make sure that we, that they know how to do their math facts, that they know how to do addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, fractions, all the things that you need to be successful. 
We're going to teach them the grammar. We're going to make sure that they can read, really read. We're going to encourage reading hard copy books, stories. We're going to introduce them to literature. We're going to spend time on the Constitution. We're going to teach them. We're going to teach them argumentation and debate. Let's, let's talk about ad hominem arguments, right? Let, let's teach children how to have civil debates. If we went back to that classical education, which most parents really want, and unfortunately a lot of parents think that when their children go to school, that's what they're getting, they're not. And if we all stood up, those of us in the schools that are being shut down by a few very noisy people that's with all this money, they're telling you, this is what your child needs. There are a lot of professionals out there that don't agree with this. They think it's wrong. They know it's wrong. And we have lots of conversations in every school I've ever taught. I've taught in four different districts and there've always been teachers and principals and counselors and that knew that this was wrong and they were disturbed by it. I've had people also retire. A lot of the good people have retired. They can't stand, they can't stand where education's going. They get out when they can. I've, I've, I've seen really good principals, really good counselors, really good teachers retire or leave the profession because they can't. I, I'll tell you myself, I morally have a problem. I'm having a harder and harder problem being part of this system because I disagree with so much of it and I can't stand, I, I juggle that, that moral debate with myself every day. Do I go into this school and, and work in this dysfunctional system that I don't believe in and that I know is hurting the kids? Or do I go there and try to just give them some of the education that I would want my own children to have and give them a little bit of, of and I don't bring political beliefs, I don't, preach to my students, but I give them solid, you know, I teach music. So I try to give them uplifting things. I try to make them think. I try to give them real skills and things that they will hopefully apply to other, um, other subjects. And just to touch on that for a minute. So I, because I teach an elective, I don't have any of these curriculums that are built in place. I teach my own way. I make my own curriculum. I've designed everything I've taught for the last 12 years. So when I can get students in poverty that have low reading literacy rates, they, they're very low test scores in reading and math and writing, and I have them, I give them assignments in class. So I can, I can assure you that I know that their reading level is low, their writing level is low, not all of them, but some of them. And when I can teach them how to read music in a short amount of time, within a year span, they can go from not knowing anything to having all the basic skills in because my students typically came into my middle schools and high schools with like zero background and i can get them reading literate in music and yeah. i'm not using any expensive curriculum i'm not tied to the test preparation so if i can do it because you know what i design the tests to see what they know i design the curriculum and then i tweak it when i test and quiz them, I go, okay, I can see that this student like doesn't understand how to write the, the notes on the lines and spaces. I can address that. I can take that student. But you know what most people don't realize? All of your core teachers that teach math, all the core subjects, math, English, social studies, science, they are based on these test-driven scores that are all done on computers. Those teachers get, a, they get a score from that, that 
system that is scored. Somebody else has that data. They're told, okay, that student's deficient. This is their test score. You need to get them to this place. The good teachers in our systems are the ones that aren't following the curriculum guides that they're brainwashed to use. And I know some personally, they're like, oh, I don't use those. I lie. I throw brand new workbooks away because so that they order new ones because they don't want anyone to find out that they weren't using those canned workbooks. Oh, I supplement all the good teachers. They supplement. And if you see a successful student, especially in a struggling district, you better go thank a teacher that didn't follow the crap. And I'm sorry, it's crap that the districts are spending big money, big money. You want to know why schools don't have any money? Because they're spending it on tech, Chromebooks, all the tech support for all the, the computer stuff, all the online textbooks that change every year. Yep. Because you know what? Math isn't that different than it was back in the 70s. As a matter of fact, I bet you if you pulled a math book from the 70s and taught math, you would have more success than spending all the money that you're doing to teach to the common core tests. In fact, I would, I would so, guarantee you I would make that prediction. For, uh, before we, cause we're almost out of time. I want to talk on uh, a couple more things that were from this presentation, uh, just in the last couple minutes, uh, Mr. Producer, if you could go to me solo screen, I want to put this or no, I'm sorry, actually, if you can uh, play the YouTube video, that I just sent over and just turn our audio on because I don't want to watch the entire thing. Oh, you're so good looking. Those lips, those eyes. Oh, I'm so glad we're finally alone. Jane, dinner. Uh, coming. I'll be right back. During puberty, your body starts to produce more sex hormones. One of the results is more interest and curiosity about sexuality. Sometimes young people will experience sexual pleasure and relieve stress and sexual tension by touching their genitals. That's called masturbation. It's very common for boys and girls. It's normal if you do it, and it's normal if you don't, and should always be done. Okay, you can take it down. Despite what you may have heard. So. Is that something? Yeah, so and it, it gets worse as you watch through this thing. This is made for children. This is by Amaze Videos. If you can go to me solo screen for a second, you can just overlay it. Um, I want to show people a little bit uh, about where this comes from. Um, so, and this uh, this presentation is from Moira. Um, what, what is her last name, Lisa? Um, uh, anyways, it was this, Maria Janati. Uh, Maria Gennady from Michigan Liberty right. Leaders. Is, you got to give her the credit for this presentation. Yeah, yeah, that's why I wanted to make sure Amazing. I mentioned her because she put together this and it's great. Um, so the, this is uh, someone who is pushing a lot of this stuff in the schools, American for youth, or uh, Advocates for Youth Partners. Uh, and if you look at the red text that's underlined, the organization seeks to redress these social determinants by working in coalition with economic and social justice organizations engaging, empowering, and mobilizing young people from marginalized communities to service acti activists and leaders in the field of sexual health. This is the kind of curriculum that's going into, uh, into your schools. AFY opposes laws that prevent use of puberty blockers in children. No parental involvement or consent for abortion. Partners with Amaze Videos. That's important. Remember that. Remembering the video that I just played. Uh, uh, policing and invest in reproductive health. Abortions on campus campaigns uh, and supports boys, men, 
uh, participating in girls' sports. Remember that. Uh, this is from AFY. Being trans is completely normal. It's nothing new. This is the type of material that they're pushing into your schools and into your children's heads. Uh, understanding our bodies. This is a kindergarten plan. The use of a binary construct of gender, as well as using gender, rather than more accurate biological sex, is, purpose, is purposeful given developmental stage of students. There are some body parts that mostly just girls have and some parts that mostly just boys have. Being a boy or girl doesn't mean you have to have those parts. This is for kindergarten. This is the type of stuff that you're, they are uh, teaching your children. You know, I remember they, learning the alphabet. Know, in kindergarten. I remember learning the alphabet right. and making macaroni pictures in kindergarten. And then now you start to see the, the byproduct of this shift in uh, agenda or curriculum that kids are learning this and failing horrifically on math and reading and just literacy as a whole. And, mm -hmm. you know, I, I know, Lisa, I know we're out of time, but you, you had mentioned that all of these people that are leaving education and that's no different than other uh, other people that are of the same mindset as us that are just so beaten down from uh, almost a sense of hopelessness whether it's police officers i know in new york all the good cops were leaving the department the military people didn't comply you know the cops in new york didn't comply because of the ridiculous anti-cop rhetoric coming from their commissioners the teachers are doing the same thing because they can't stand the curriculum they're being forced to shove into the minds of children as they're forming into young adults. And even even to the point of the military, you know, the military forcing everyone out because of vaccinations and corporate America, the big the big publicly traded companies forcing people out because they do not fit into that ideological uh, silo that they demand you f uh, fit into. So uh, there is actually no more important time than now to stay in the fight and be the change you wish to see. And, uh, you know, again, with the, the comp analogy of going uh, bald by losing a hair at a time and that you don't just wake up one morning and go, I went bald. That's exactly what they're trying to do in stripping away every single institutional uh, sector in this country to rewrite life as they know it and so they have a lot more money than us these foundations these these oh, globalist absolutely. elitists that are funding this they have infinite money most of it being our money that they've siphoned away from us over the past 20 right. to 30 years so the only option because they do not know how to fight they know how to steal so we know how to fight and so i'd say to everyone listening and to all of you on the show now uh staying in the fight now at the final stages of this battle, this battle for our country and the battle for our children and the future of everything we've come to love and know as Americans, uh, there is no more important time now than to stay in the fight and, and, and join forces with people still left in those sectors, military, law enforcement, education, and, 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 and ramp up the rhetoric and, and, and speak louder and, and, and hold firmer to those beliefs. Otherwise, there's going to be nothing left. So... Well, so Lisa, I'd like before you finish, if you can just tell people uh, before we, we finish up, if you can just tell people exactly, uh, like, how do they get involved? How do they help with some of these issues? Because, you know, a lot of people are kind of lost. So they say, okay, we'll yeah. go for school board, like tell people how they can actually affect some change and get this stuff out of their schools. Because I know, you know, you've been working on this really intimately. Uh, 
Go for it. Yeah, well, one thing I didn't touch on, so, you know, I'm also an elected school board member, and I've gotten a real eye-opening look at how school boards have been made um, very uh, irrelevant in many ways, um, because, again, the same big money is influencing these associations of school boards, the National Association of School Boards, remember the one that, that you know, uh, tried to label, you know, parents that didn't agree with the schools as terrorists. Um, and there's like, I think 24 or 25 states have now pulled out of the National Association of School Boards. Here in Michigan, we're not one of them. Michigan Association of School Board, you know, released some lame statement about, uh, about that incident and decided that they would remain in the association. But those associations, they do education for school board members. So I went to a conference last November and basically their overall arching message is as a elected school board member, you're just supposed to let the superintendent and the administration run the district. And of course, remember you're, all these administrators are getting all their education from these same organizations, right? This is the way to do things. This is what your school needs. This is the right way to do it. They, they write letters, they ghost write um, articles in journals. It's just like the, the medical, you know, just how the, the medical journals get all these articles written that, oh, this drug is like the, the thing to treat, you know, or, or on the other side, don't use those drugs, right? We, those aren't the accepted protocols, right, for COVID. Education is exactly, they've done the same thing. They have, everything's a protocol. Everything is like all the kids need this. This is the way we're gonna teach the kids. This is the newest way. This is the best way. So they get all that. And then the school board members are told, well, hands off, you know, don't mess with it. They know what they're doing. You're just supposed to be kind of there to, you know, kind of be involved, but you know, they, they run the district. You really shouldn't micromanage. You know, they give you rubrics to evaluate your superintendent. And I have a board colleague that's famous for saying, yeah, well, you know, anybody with a pulse could get a highly effective rating on that rubric. You know, it takes the power away from the local school board. So you're not setting the goals and the, the rubric for your superintendent in your district. You're getting it from the Michigan Association of School Boards or whatever, Colorado or whatever state you're in. And then so everything, all of the decision making is taken away. And I want to hit on something real quick. There's a lot of, you know, back and forth on charters versus public and and that I worked in a charter school for three years. One of the big dangers of charter schools, and I, I firmly believe one of the reasons that that they were put as as and pushed as hard as they were, they bypassed the elected school board. So remember, when I grew up, the, the public school was like the community gathering place, your elementary school, not to, just for voting on voting days, but you know, there were activities there, there were community activities that you rent out the school. You, a lot, most people walked to school and had a school. I, I lived down the street from the school, I, elementary school I went to, and they were magnets for the neighborhoods. And of course, some of the neighborhoods got pretty bad and those students ended up, you know, stuck in a, in a situation. Well, what the charter school did, especially, and Michigan is one of the worst states in the, in the country for charter schools. We are completely unregulated. And so we have, charter schools that are run by management companies that are basically for profit. They'll they'll buy up a property, pay, paid off, right? And then they'll get a management company and they'll pay themselves back rent. It's going to the same place. And meanwhile, there's no elected school board. 
So the public schools are kind of the last stance where you have an elected school board, but then you have all these associations that are like, oh, no, 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 school board members, don't, you don't get involved, you don't get to, you, you gotta just go along with whatever, you know, the, the, the superintendent and the administration decide. And they, they start, you know, there's a difference between being adversarial and constantly trying to cause problems with what your hired superintendent is doing. I'm not suggesting that everybody fight every single day with their superintendent administration. And there's some great administrators out there. I'm not, I'm not saying anything like that, but you shouldn't be dictated constantly what to do. And, and oh, by the way, don't make that public. Oh, don't talk about that publicly. Oh, we're not gonna talk about that at the meeting tonight. And, and then, or get in trouble because you said something publicly, because our whole purpose as school board members, we have public meetings, Open Meetings Act, and you have conversations and you ask questions of your administrators so that your public has the right to know the answers to those questions. That's your job. You're elected by the public, by the voters. So if you as parents in your community, if you don't like what's going on in your school, your recourse should be the school board. So you should be paying real close attention to those school board elections in November. I know in Michigan, our filing deadline is July 26th. So we've got basically a month for candidates to file. And then you've got to decide which candidates are going to support the students and the parents. Because I'm sorry, I was a teacher. I was part of the teachers union for the protection of my own job. I am no longer, by the way. I've been a union member and I've not been a union member. And it's not, a, I, I refuse to pay dues to those organizations anymore. That's another story for another day. But the, it's not the teachers union's jobs to decide the curricula. It is not their job to drive initiatives in the schools. It is their job to teach their subject matter. It is not their job to teach sexual education to your child and sexualize your child. I don't care if a teacher's gay. I don't care if they're married to a gay partner. But you know what? It's not your job, just like it's not my job. If I went into my classroom and brought conservative Christian values to my students, and my students know, they see my cross, they'll say, oh, are you a Christian? I, yes, I, I, you know, that's what I believe in. That's what I practice. But I don't promote my they would drag you out. Religion. They would drag you out the back door. They would. I would be fired. I would be written up. But another teacher can come in and tell my child all about their sexuality or yep. bring a drag queen in to teach my, you know, I have a grandson now, right? Excuse me, teach my child the alphabet. I, I mean, I taught my children the alphabet, but teach my children how to read, help them learn how to write a sentence. And when they're old enough to understand those issues, they can write an essay or engage in a debate? Why don't you teach my high schooler argumentation and debate so they can thoughtfully debate a topic on facts? Because facts don't, you can't argue with facts, but the, what's going on in education isn't about facts anymore, it's about feelings. We want the students' feelings to be the most important thing. And you know what, as an adult, I will tell you the teachers I remember the most are the teachers that, that made me work the hardest they weren't the nicest of my teachers. In fact, I can remember a teacher at an elementary school that was the nicest woman on the earth. I didn't learn a thing the entire year. The, the classroom was in chaos because there was no classroom management. The curriculum was stupid. I was bored the whole year. I can remember that year vividly. And then I can remember a year where I had a teacher that was 
not very nice, but really it was like we, she forced us to really work hard. Those are the teachers as an adult that I now thank. So this whole concept of that everything is about the students' feelings, you know, it's one thing to like not belittle a child. And there are still teachers that do that all the time, every day. In fact, I'm continually horrified sometimes by some of the things I've heard said to students that I think are embarrassing and hurtful. But in the long scope of the project, it's about the subject matter. I will take a teacher that knows their subject matter and can teach it to my student and make my student want to learn, teach my student, the, the, my child, the, the scientific method and make them successful over a, a teacher. I, I don't want a teacher teaching my child about feelings. It's my child's feelings are not your business unless you have a student in your class that's doing something to my child that's hurtful. That's your job to make sure that doesn't happen as much as possible. And it's not always possible, but do your best. And the rest of it is at home. It's home, it's, it's, it's left at home. And they're gonna use the excuse, well, you know, there are a lot of parents that aren't involved and can't teach that, those things. And there's all kinds of excuses for why the school needs to be the psychologist and, and every, they want all the teachers to fill every little hole in the child's life. And it's not our job to do I think, that. I think we said- I, I think you're, you're the perfect. Right. I think you're the perfect example for parents, not even non-parents, scratching their heads saying, "What is the solution?" Uh, fire, involvement, passion, engagement—that's what those are. Those are the factors they're counting on the average uh, parent or any individual just remotely interested in 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 keeping kids on track. Everything you've shown, everything you've said is the perfect recipe to that, uh, that solution that a lot of people are going, well, how do we fix this? How do we, do I give up or do I stay in the fight? And as I said earlier, we must stay in the fight. So we're, we're out of time. Of I'll give you the last yeah. We get rid of the state overlay. We get rid of the, the intermediate school district doing everything. We bring education back to the local community and you make and parents getting on the school board, getting elected, but it's not just enough to get elected. You need to know what the issues are and you need to educate yourself and be willing to know that the, the programs that they bring to you, oh, this costs X amount of dollars. They're not successful. If they were successful, the United States wouldn't be falling behind educationally, behind a host of other international countries. If we were doing so great educationally, these programs don't work and the, the statistics are in our faces every day. Absolutely. You don't need to spend Amen. a lot of money to educate a student well. Well, Paula, before we close out, Lisa, we, we have to have you on again. You're you're fantastic. And I think your passion is what a lot of people <laughs> a lot of people are disenchanted by uh, that they do not know where to get started. And I think your passion can serve as an inspiration for a lot of parents that feel as if their hands are tied behind their back. Before we go and before we wrap up, Apollo, do you want to close out in prayer? You want to handle this? Sure. Alrighty. So, Father God, I, I thank you. I thank you for people like Maria, uh, those here fighting in Michigan. I, I pray that this truth that those who have been disenchanted, those who have been turned away, those who have turned off and let go of the reins in their own households, who have let go and let the reins fall of the school boards, of those people who are currently steering our children towards a future 
that they do not deserve. I pray that all of them have their eyes opened. I pray that every school in this country is flooded, is stormed with parents who care for their children, who are afire, who are alive, and who seek only to restore the education system, who seek to free their children of this radical influence, of this disgusting agenda, and give their children a future. Give them competency, give them wisdom, let them have a future and an education that will serve them so that they can step into that future as leaders of this country and not as those left aside, not as, as those discarded by an agenda which seeks only to consolidate power and to turn out a factory of young adults who will be compliant slaves to the world economic system and to a status society which we are currently battling with. Give us hope. Show all those who are discouraged that there is power in simply standing up. Let each one of us be the lesser magistrate. Let the school boards hear the voice of the parents in their neighborhoods, in their cities. Let the parents speak truth. Let them speak it boldly. Let them speak it with wisdom and eloquence that those school boards, that those administrators realize the power that they have that they have stolen from from those parents let them realize that the only true course of action is to free these children and allow them to grow into the beautiful adults that they were meant to be as we see that this agenda is coming from the top down and involves the same interests let the world see the tentacles of this beast let them see exactly where this agenda comes from and see how strongly, how boldly, how fiercely they have to battle it. We are fighting now for our most precious asset, our most precious among us, our children, those who will be the future leaders, those who will lead the future, who will innovate, who will inspire, who will create. Let us fight this, this battle for our children. Let us fight it boldly in your name, according to your law, and may us all refuse to bow to any authority but yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we are way over time, so thank you, everyone, for sticking Lisa, around. I'm going to implore Paolo. all of you, please. This is, uh, yeah. No, I was saying, Lisa, Paula, thanks for stopping by. Go on. Oh, it was a pleasure. Yeah, um, it was a pleasure, Jake. Yeah, so please please share this episode. Share this with parents in your neighborhood, people who uh, who may not understand exactly what is going on in the school system, who seem confused uh, by the direction of their schools, the seemingly mysterious indoctrination, indoctrination of their children. Share this with people on your school board. Share this episode with those who have children or those who care about the children and understand that our educational systems are not serving them. Be an ambassador of truth. If messages like this and if people truly understand what is going on in our schools and where that influence comes from, there will be masses of people storming those school boards, storming uh, those schools, knocking down the doors and making those people hear the truth and hear that they are accountable to us and they will be made accountable to us. That is a simple task if all of us just implement it today. And if we do that, this year we will see a change in the education system. We will see 
a complete reset uh, across this country. And we need to do that right now because our children are at stake and their futures are being stolen from them and they are being stolen from us. Um, so, Lisa, thank you. Thank, thank you, you very much. I want thank to you, say Lisa. one more thing, if, sure. if you might, um, Greg. I want, like, just to, just to end real quick, if you want to make a change, um, I, I think, too, there's some initiatives to have money follow the student, even if you're a homeschooling parent. I would be very wary of those initiatives because whoever gives you the cash, if you get money from the government, they're always going to get something back. So I would be very wary of those systems where they're going to give you money to pick your school um, because I think it's a Trojan horse. Um, the other thing I, I would encourage people to do is the media is driving so much of this division. The mainstream media, shows like this are really important because what you're seeing on the on the big news channels is all the division. And, it, and we talked a little bit about it in this interview, but what the media has done over the last couple of decades is turn ordinary Americans against all the pillars of society, which are police, because what they, they hyper, the teachers, the bad teachers, the bad police, the bad nurses, you never see a whole lot about bad doctors, but yet hospital deaths and hospital errors and pharmaceutical drugs are, are one of the largest causes of death and injury in this country. But you don't see those things, but guess who pays for your media? The pharmaceutical industry. So, and, and the, the military industrial complex. So what do they attack? They attack police, fire, teachers, anybody that holds up the pillars of society that actually makes society a good thing. So every time you see a story about a bad teacher, there's another 10 great ones that have to live with the, the outcome of that. Every police shooting, there's another 10 police officers that are going and driving a, you know, a homeless person to a shelter or giving money out of their pocket or you know helping and giving of themselves. So I think it's really important. If you want to talk about hope, talk to your neighbors, talk to those people in those positions and, and realize that the media is not the final. The mainstream media shows like this are getting out real facts real issues we can work together there is hope we've got to work together we can change this around it's people in society saying slaves no more they didn't let the slaves read because it kept them ignorant you're being kept ignorant by mainstream media and the education system you got to get out of that matrix and bond together with the people you know go to church go to school find those people that think like you and stand together because one and two people stand together, it only takes a couple people speaking out for others to follow. Be the leader. So other people will feel comfortable. It's group psychology. That's my last my last. Very well said. Story. Very well said, Lisa. And I want to thank you again for coming on. We'll have to coordinate with your son Amen. getting you back a second time. Anyway, we're out of time for tonight. We will be back at 10 a.m. Mountain Time in the morning, 4 p.m. Mountain Time in the afternoon. And if you like the show... On your way out, leave a, a thumbs up or a, a smash the rumble button on the way out. Uh, share, share this with a friend. Uh, they have to go to channels on Rumble. Search Conservative Daily. Give us a follow. Helps us with our ad sponsors to show our audience our following. We are, uh, for visual listeners, we're on Conservative Daily. Uh, visual listeners. Uh, uh, visual audience. Uh, <laughs> oxymoron there. Conservative-Daily.com. Rumble, DLive, Clout Hub, Frank's Speech. And for the audio 
uh, department. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, TuneIn, Audible, and Podbean. Live again, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, 4 p.m. Mountain Time, twice daily. That's uh, 12 Eastern Standard Time and 6 Eastern Standard Time. And again, we go live on Frank's Speech, both of those slots on every day, Monday through Friday. That is it for tonight. We went a little bit over time, so we appreciate all those that did stay around. Again, if you'd like to support the show, go to Conservative Daily. Memberships start as low as $10. That gives you 60 shows a month. So I think the, the math works out. It help us keep the lights on. But that's it for today. My name is Jake Frejo. I'm your host, and I'm joined by... And I'm Paula. Stay safe, everyone. Stay in the fight. We'll see you in the morning, 10 a.m. Have a good night.